All right, Trinity Church, it is great to be with you this morning. Hey, where you are, would you thank the worship team? What a great job. It seems a little cavernous for me to be clapping all by myself here in the worship center, but I hope in your living room it sounds a little bit more uh, grateful and thankful for just the great job they've done. Our goal on a Sunday uh, when we get together for any time for worship is to be preoccupied with Jesus, and our worship team helps us with that in so many ways. My name's Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. I missed you last weekend, but I'm glad to be back with you today, and I'll share with you a little bit. We actually are beginning a brand new series today, and I'll give you a little bit more, thank you, input on that in just a moment, and we'll kind of get you all caught up. If you have our app, that's a great way to digitally be able to get to our notes today so you can track with us. You can also download those from the website as well. So whichever way is most convenient for you and that'll help you track with us. If you have a Bible today, we're gonna begin in the book of Romans. So that'll be great, and we'll look forward to uh, getting to do that. Let me take a moment this morning. We, uh, Allison had mentioned earlier about people that are being affected by a really um, dangerous fire not far from us, the Apple Fire. Let's take a minute, we'll just kind of pray for those affected by that. Father God, we come before you as a people who are realizing day by day in the midst of this quarantine season how very much we are out of control of the things that we think we can control. And even just the ability to have a home that's in a safe place uh, as another reminder of a fire season that we are in the middle of. And uh, I just pray for people in Cherry Valley, <clears throat> Oak Glen, as the fire's moving both towards Forest Falls and even down the backside towards the Morongo Indian Reservation. God, we just pray for those affected. We pray for firefighter crews and the great job that they're doing and we just pray that you would keep people safe in the midst of this and even preserve homes. So we just thank you and uh, just lift this group of people up to you today. We love you and pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen. We have a couple of yay God things for you. First off, we did another blood drive this last week. Thank you to you who participated in that. 67 units of blood were gained so that we can be helping people here locally. So we're grateful to partner with the folks from Livestream. Live I want to tell you about something that I'm real excited about. As Allison mentioned a little bit ago, we are a people who not only want to pray for you, we want to pray with you. One thing that our staff does that you may or may not know is that every morning, Monday through Wednesday, we gather together in various groups to be able to pray for the people of Trinity and to pray for the people in your world. So one thing that we thought would be a great idea in this season is just to make that prayer time a little more available. We cannot meet indoors at this time, but we can meet outdoors under the pavilion. So what we're going to do, we're just calling it prayer under the pavilion, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We meet from 9 to 9.30. I know not everyone is able for a host of reasons, but for those who are able, for those who want to, we're just going to join under the pavilion here on the campus out in the plaza, outside in the shade, and we're just going to pray. And we're going to pray for really these three things. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our community, and we're going to pray for our country. So if you want to come and join us even tomorrow on the, what would that be, the 3rd of August on Monday morning from 9 to 9.30, we're just going to come and pray together. We'd love to invite you to do that. Well, we begin a new series today called Critical uh, Convictions, and uh, we're going to see if my uh, computer is going to work today. And I want to tell you, in this uh, sequence, this series, 
When we began a new series a few weeks ago after finishing the book of 1 Peter, we began a new series that I thought was incredibly timely called Fear Not, looking at some of the passages in Scripture where the Bible says, don't be afraid. This, believe it or not, I believe this series is somehow even more timely than that, which is hard to believe, right? Because there's a lot of reasons to be afraid and a lot of things that we're struggling with. But this series, I think, is going to be so helpful for us because what's been happening in this pandemic season are the voices, and they're very loud, and they have been screaming to you through the media, through social media, maybe even through conversations with people who would say, this thing, this issue, this concern is so important, you need to value it at a level 10. And you know what, in the course of our lives, often there will be a thing that will rise to the surface. And, and, and if you can remember life before quarantine, there might have been weeks or months where nothing seemed to bubble to the top to that degree. You have just been bombarded with messages. And the messages are not even have a great sense of urgency for this, but they're really implicit with suspicion and, and a sense of despair and a sense of even that of distrust. And so what we want to do in this series of critical convictions, we want to help you begin to think biblically. And, and that's our goal. What I'm trying to do is not in any way tell you how to think in the course of this series. Instead, what I want to do is I want to help you think according to God's word, what are the things I should be prioritizing? In a world where everything is a 10, how should I be able to develop priorities that are consistent with the way God prioritizes things? That's really the goal, and so my hope is to give you what I would call a grid or a set of buckets, a, a framework to be able to say, that's important, but it kind of fits here, or that's important, and it kind of fits here. And, and that'll be the goal more than anything is to help you realize there is a way to think in a sense of biblical priorities about the issues that we face. And so, that's what I'm excited to dive in with you today. Here's a few examples of things I know in this quarantine season you're struggling with. Issues like this and how to have the right degree of value and priority. Wearing a face covering in public situations during this COVID season. Simple question, how important should it be to me based on the word of God? Does God's word mention specifically face coverings? No, but there's great principles that I can apply to that reality. Recent examples of racial injustice and systemic inequality, simple question, how important should that be to me based on the word of God? Sneaking around trying to get a prohibition haircut, okay, I know, I know you're struggling with this. How important should that be to me based on the word of God? Our governor's decree that congregations cannot meet indoors right now. How important should that be to me based on the word of God? And I know one piece that has really muddied those waters in the last couple weeks, what do I do when a premier Bible teacher like John MacArthur says that you, Trinity Church, you are a part of an unfaithful congregation because you don't see the issue like he does? It's incredibly confusing. I want you to stay tuned, by the way, in this series because we will talk about that by the time we're done. So consistent with our denomination's mantra, if you know much about the evangelical free church, you'll know that one of the statements, the phrases that keeps getting said over and over and again, we major on the majors. 
And that is a wonderful way to think as a biblical Christian. What are the majors? How do I not just think about them, but live according to them? And so that's what we're going to have to begin to talk about more. And the goal is, is not only to major on the majors, but have a disciplined avoidance of allowing minors to rise to the surface of majors because those can become incredibly divisive. Those can actually become incredibly distractive to what we're here to do and the mission that we're on. So over the course of the next four weeks, this is what we're going to talk about. We are going to begin looking at what I would call these four buckets, and they're in your notes today. If I could get my clicker to work, that would even be better. I'm just going to try here. These are the four levels of certainty that we're going to be looking at. These are in your notes today. Things to die for, things to divide over, things to debate about, and things to decide on. Things to die for, things to divide over, things to debate about, and things to decide on. We're going to look at one of these kind of areas, these levels of certainty for each week over the next four weeks, and we'll discuss how can you begin to develop that framework and what things do you put in that group. So here's what we're going to do, and uh, let, me, let me try something here and see if this will help uh, how we're going to do our thing. Um, oh, by the way, I want to tell you about a great resource um, that I really appreciate. My friend Jared and our staff told me about this book. I'm already about a third of the way through, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, The Case for Theological Triage, a great read already that's exactly on this same thing. Similarly, he creates kind of four buckets to put things in based on a level of priority. So let's see um, what our now what statement looks like for today. Because being willing to die for something is most significant, consider what God's word values to this degree and live accordingly. I'm going to move my stand over here a little bit and see if that will help me uh, be able to do what we need to do. Number one in your notes, there are some things worth dying for. There are some things worth dying for. I want to start that from the very beginning today. Your Bibles are open to Romans 5. This is what it says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. What I want you to see at the very beginning today is that it's the most fitting way to begin our conversation, that there was something to Jesus that was worth dying for, and it was you. You were worth it to him, and not some sanitized, um, cleaned up version, but the ungodly enemies of God kind of version of you is who Jesus went to the cross for. I want to probe a little bit of what Paul says here in Romans 5 to even begin, because what I don't want to do today, you said it like I have, oh man, those chocolate eclairs are to die for. This is not the kind of to die for we're talking about today. This is the highest level of priority in my life. Paul says in the passage that for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. You've seen that before. You've seen that maybe where someone valued someone and would be willing to take a bullet for them. You've seen a parent who's been willing to say, I'm going to risk my survival for my child. You've seen someone who has a, a neighbor or a friend that they would literally be willing and did die for in order to save or rescue. And Paul says, like Jesus says later on in John 15, there's no greater love 
than you would offer your life for your friends. So this high degree of valuing someone that you would be willing to die on their behalf. You've even seen it, seen it in another way of human sacrifice for those who might be in the military, and they would be willing to risk their life out of a sense of duty for a country filled with good people and filled with those that are not so great, and that yet they'd be willing to die for their betterment and their freedoms. You see it in first responders, police officers who'd be willing to get in the line of fire for a citizen they've never met before and may even be willing to risk their lives even for a criminal fighting another criminal. These are the kinds of things of sacrifice, and that's what they would chalk it up to out of a, this is what I signed on for when I took the job. This is a sense of duty. But in your notes today, I want you to see this. Don't miss this. Jesus wasn't just any person who died for someone he cared about or who even uh, died for the world because that's what he signed up for. When he came to earth, he died for you. Recognize that Jesus didn't do what he did out of pure sense of duty or just because he, he really felt like that's what I signed up for to be the Messiah of the world. He did that because he loved you and wanted you to absolutely know that and be able to be right with God. We're talking a lot about love today. We're gonna to see that as we kind of walk through our series, our, our message together today, this amazing, extraordinary love of God. Look at another way that John writes about this love of God. This is how God showed his love among us. Didn't just talk about it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life that he might give life through him. This is love, not that we loved God, it's not that we went first and demonstrated some sort of care for him, but that he loved us, and look what he did. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own son in your place. And that's what is really important today as we begin is that biblical Christianity isn't about taking on an ideological creed or becoming a martyr for a cause. That's never been what God has called us to as his people. But it's responding to the love that Jesus has already shown, that he's already demonstrated to you by loving God in return and by loving your neighbor as yourself. We'll see more about that in just a moment. It's also important to be grounded in this idea because actual Christian martyrs over the last 2,000 years, and by the way, don't think of that as just ancient history. We know that people today around the world are suffering persecution and even death because of their clinging on to this great news of Jesus in the gospel. But realize that they did not offer their lives over an ideology or a creed, but out of their love for a God who loved them first. And that's what's so important. I've said in recent messages when we were walking through the book of 1 Peter and talking through these various lenses about when is the time. Uh, 1 Peter had so much to say about being under the authorities that God has sovereignly placed over us. And yet we read in places like the book of Acts where the apostles said, you tell us what is right to obey you or to obey God. And in that tension, I have said in numerous messages, I absolutely believe in my lifetime, and it may be very soon, that I will have to step over a line of civil disobedience because of what God has clearly said in his word to do. And I might be persecuted for the same thing. And I want you to know today why I'm willing to do that and why I would be w hopeful that you would be willing to do the same thing. 
Not because I'm trying to make a statement, not because I'm part of some cause, but out of love and devotion to the God who didn't hesitate to die in my place. That's the motivation, that's the love that's being responded to from the love that's already been given. So how do we know what kinds of issues rise to this level of importance that really would be worth dying for? Let's continue in our notes and you'll see what I'm talking about. This is really important to me. Number two in your notes today, scripture itself communicates that there are major and minor issues. Scripture itself in the very language of the text communicates that there are major and minor issues. Look at this from Matthew 22. This is a very familiar verse, but I want you to read it and listen to the language. Let's read it together. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The bold case is mine for emphasis. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at this last line, all, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I'm wondering today, have you ever used this phrase? I know I have. Have you ever said to somebody, you're making a mountain out of a molehill? Now, if you've never lived in a place where you've literally seen a molehill, it might be, you know, 10 to 12 inches up out of the ground, but it's this very, very small little mound of dirt. And in essence, what you've said to someone is, you're valuing something way more than it really should be. That's what that phrase means. You're making a mountain out of a molehill. Likely you've been on the other side of that conversation as well where someone has said those same words to you. You're getting way too upset about this situation. You're valuing this way more than it needs to be. And that was hard because you wanted them to value that issue as much as you did. So we realize we, we know what it's like to be on probably both sides of that concern. And what's really behind this series is the idea of how timely and urgent these words really are for us. Because we are being challenged all the time with people telling us, make this a mountain, make this a mountain. And if you think about it, you can understand why. In our lifetimes, no one has, well, I'd put it this way, not only in our lifetimes, never has anyone experienced a quarantine season like this. Now, people in the past have been quarantined, but never with social media, and never with the ability to zoom into their homes what news media is saying and has the ability 24 hours a day to say to us. And we've talked about in our series that what we need is more Bible and less news and less social media, but it still is a challenge. And so what I want to do as we kind of talk about this issue, I want to help you as you're being bombarded with these messages that are not even simply a message, but they're messages of outrage. They're messages of suspicion. They're messages of distrust. And they're shouting that you would participate, that you would value them to a level of 10 at every point. But my question to you today is what if that issue... Think of any of the ones we mentioned earlier or any others that you'd have in your mind. What if that issue, not according to popular opinion, how many likes that gets in social media, how often it's being repeated in the news, what if according to the word of God, that issue is not a 10, but it's maybe a seven or four or even a one? See, that's what we need to be looking at because what we wanna do in this series is we wanna help you think about what really does matter most. And also, in this point, what matters more, and, and even to the point of what even matters? What even matters at all? Those are the things that we're trying to dive into. 
Now, here's the problem. If you, when you are bombarded with all these messages, you've probably already done one of two things, or maybe over the course of these last almost five months, you've done both. But it's things like this. You either receive those messages and respond at that level of 10 in that same way of intensity, and, and what you have done is you have moved minor issues into the major category, and you are just expending emotion at every front, and you are exhausted. Or others of us, by being bombarded with all those messages, it is exhausting, and what you've just done is you've just checked out. I cannot handle it anymore. I can't know what thing to rally around, what thing to protest for or against, and you're just done. And I wanna tell you this, either of those two responses, I don't believe are God's best. Instead, what I believe what God has called us to is to be a people of discernment and to be a people who use his word, who live in the community of believers to try to define, God, what matters most? What matters more? What matters at all? These are the things that we should spend our time on. Scripture gives us some handles, and we'll look today at one of our core values that really does give definition to this. You're familiar with it. The Bible is God's story, and look what it's given to do to transform you, to change the way you are and live, and to be the authority in your life. So that's why we're going to look at God's word having that degree of value. So let's begin with our understanding when we're looking at the Bible. We know that you and I might have the very same Bible. Someone asked me the other day, what version of the Bible do we use? We use the NIV, the New International Version. You and I could be looking at the very same translation of the Bible, read the very same words, but yet interpret them differently. It's a challenge for us and just our Christian community. But what I want to look at is not even things that allow us to be able to interpret. It's literally the language itself, like we just read a minute ago, that helps us understand how we can put things in a sense of a biblical version of values and what we would see as most important. Note the passage that we looked at from Matthew, one very well known to you. Notice that the expert in the Jewish law, he didn't ask, what are some of the laws in our Torah? He didn't go on to say, what are some important laws in the Torah? No, he asked, what's the greatest commandment in Scripture? And when Jesus was asked a question with that incredible degree of specificity, it demanded that he give a specific answer, which he absolutely did. And you know it well, love God and love people. That's what it's all about. Jesus didn't hesitate to answer and say what mattered most. He didn't get into a diatribe of, well, you know, everything in the Torah, he didn't say any of that. He cut right to the quick. The things that matter most is love God and love people. And by doing that, he gave us the ability to embrace those same kinds of priorities and realize that really does. Of all the content in 66 books of scripture, there is something that matters more than anything else. And when it comes to the way that we respond and live, it's loving God and loving his people, like all people, people he created. So I want to do this. I want to look a few, at a few more what I would just call superlative passages in Scripture. Other times where it says things like the most important thing or over all of this. Even one from our recent series from 1 Peter. You might remember in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, above all. Above all, above everything else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. So as Peter's walking out, more important than anything else, love each other deeply. 
Look at another one, another superlative from the book of Colossians. Paul writes, and over all these virtues, so meaning all these things he's been talking about of how they ought to treat one another, they're all what we would call horizontal responses to other people. Over all of these, wrap yourself, put on the garment of love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Love has this unique way of connecting all these other attributes that are all important, but this was most important. And look at this last one from Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Look what he says. The only thing, this is the Apostle Paul, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, I wanted to show you these passages, like I said, just as examples of what we call this superlative language, just to be able to understand this is what the Bible is making much of. But the thing I don't want you to miss, so just know the Bible uses language in itself to say this matters most. But really what I want you to catch today, I want you to catch the thread that goes through really all four of these passages What did the first one from Matthew 22 say? Love God, love people. From 1 Peter, love each other deeply. From Colossians, put on love. From Galatians, faith expressing itself in love. The superlative command of the New Testament is that we would be a people of love. Look in your notes. It is clear that what matters most in terms of how we as God's children behave, is that we love each other well. That matters most. And as we talk about things in this series that become challenges for us of how do we relate to each other when we disagree? When you put that thing in that bucket and I put it over here, how do we do what I want you to hear and what I think that most churches struggle with is that when we disagree with each other, we somehow think that loving each other doesn't matter anymore. That my disagreement over the truth and my understanding of truth matters more than the fact that I would love you. But what we've seen in Scripture is that what matters most is that we love one another well, even more important than our view of the truth of a certain situation. We never have cause, never have reason to stop loving one another even if we might disagree. And that's so, so very important in this age especially. Now, it's not, only, it's not only the only thing that Scripture demonstrates, but also in numerous passages, the Bible uses comparative language. So, not just the superlatives that say what matters most, but it will say this matters more than that. Let me show you one from Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law. This is when Jesus is absolutely just laying it out for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices. So, the idea of a tithe goes all the way down to the most minute things, things like mint, dill, and cumin. These are things you're willing to give a tenth of, but you have neglected, watch, the more important matters of the law, the more important ones, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Watch, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Here's another example from Mark 12. Jesus speaking again, to love him, God, Yahweh, with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, watch, is more important than all, all burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
So what I want you to see is this. Jesus is never minimizing to this group of his Jewish audience. He's never minimizing the law and saying there's things that you don't even have to worry about or do anymore. But he is saying within the structure of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, loving God, loving people, these matter more. And this is powerful to me. You have, this is all to show that even within the written text, things that we don't even are really able to interpret and then disagree about, it's just simply in the text. The Bible itself gives us an understanding that there are priorities, priorities that we want to embrace and live according to, and we'll see more of that over the course of the next few weeks. Finally, your to-die-for list should be biblically determined and demonstrated by church history. Your to-die-for list should be biblically determined and demonstrated by church history. I'll show you what I mean by that in just a moment, but this is really important, that when you think of your to-die-for list, it's not just in a vacuum and you start making a list today, we'll talk about that in a minute, and just come up with your stuff. There's 2,000 years of church history that we can look to. Let me show you a verse that emphasizes this. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, chapter 15, really all about the resurrection of Jesus. Look what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So this is the topic he's talking about. I want to remind you of the gospel which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This is something that you have embraced. He's writing to not the people of Corinth, but the church of Corinth. By this gospel, you are saved. This is the way that makes us right with God. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you, watch. Otherwise, you believed in vain. So there's something about the ongoing standing in, standing on the gospel that is going to be the way that they're ultimately saved. Watch this. For what I received, what Paul had received, he, I passed on to you, watch, as of first importance, So again, Paul's demonstrating a sense of priority. This is what was most important. Look at what he talks about. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So what Paul's doing is he's saying a first importance for your salvation, for the thing that you need more than important than anything else to be made right with God, this is what I passed on to you that was most important. Jesus rose from the dead. And the rest of the chapter goes on to explain that. I've had some unique circumstances over the course of my life to do twice what most people would be pretty satisfied only doing once. And one of those things is I've been ordained twice. Um, And just recently, about a year ago, last month in July, is when I finished that examination process and just a few weeks later got the official paperwork through the EFCA church, which is great. But one of the things is I have worked on doctrinal statements. That's really what's being examined in an ordination process is your doctrinal statement. As I have worked on those myself a couple of times and also worked with other pastors as they were developing theirs, one of the things of advice I would tell them is that when you get up to defend your doctrinal statement, the reading of your doctrinal statement and what you would add to it should not be incredibly unique. Because when you look back over the course of 2,000 years of church history, if you come up with something that's altogether brand new, I'm telling you that's the recipe for being a heretic. 
So your doctrinal statement should actually be pretty consistent with what you have seen the church, Jesus' church, be about over the last 2,000 years. Look in your notes. Not only do we have the Bible, but the way that Jesus' church has followed him and functioned together, that should help us develop our majors. We have the written word of God and we have the way that Jesus' people have interpreted over 2,000 years that helps us develop what should be the things that we would be willing to die for, our majors that are most important. Another resource that I've made available in this series, if you go on our website to our series page uh, called Critical Convictions, you will see a link there for a chapter from a leadership book. The chapter was written by one of my seminary professors, and I'll never forget being in class and listening to him give a, a, a lecture on what I shared with you earlier. That's where I've developed these four categories from, what he shared that night. Things that are worth dying for, things that are worth um, dividing over, things that are worth uh, debating, and things that are worth deciding. So that, that framework comes from Gary Brashears. And what I appreciated in the article that I've linked there that you are very welcome to read, I think you would appreciate it as we dive into the rest of this series, he has a great quote related to this idea of things worth dying for. This is what he says, I think we have it in your notes. Humility concerning these items, so meaning humility concerning the majors can never be a virtue. That's an interesting statement. What does he mean by that? Calling a person who knowingly denies evangelical essentials, a brother or a sister in Christ for the sake of, quote, unity, truly denies the unity that it, which is founded on the truth of Jesus Christ. So that's a, that's a powerful way of saying it, meaning we don't strive for unity at all costs if people would not have the things that the Bible says really are the majors, the essence, the foundations of the Christian faith. And so that's a powerful statement for us to walk through. Now, I told you earlier today, and you've seen it in the course of our time together, my goal is not to tell you how to think and to tell you this is what goes in each box. I will give you examples over the course of these four weeks of the kinds of discussions that usually happen in these categories. But ultimately, my expectation and my hope is that weekly, you would take time after the message, after the service, and you would process maybe at the bottom of your notes, notes that you're writing on, notes that you're doing digitally. That's one of my favorite features of our notes and our app is that there's a place for you to add on below that. But I would hope that you would take time to consider, okay, as I've heard this message today on the majors, on the things worth dying for, what would go in my list? And for me, because of my vocation and telling you I've been ordained a couple times, and each time had to put together a, a doctrinal statement to defend, that has become my to die for's. And what's interesting is our church, Trinity Church, as well as our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, we have one in the same as far as a doctrinal statement or a statement of faith. And today what I want to do is I want to read those with you today, if you've never taken the time to just read our statement of faith and realize these are the kinds of things I believe that are worth dying for. Now, I might not put my life on the line for each subpart of what's mentioned, meaning there was a group in church history called the Anabaptists, and they were willing to die for the mode of baptism, which type of way and when someone was baptized. I'm not sure I'm going to die on that hill, but the ideas of what we're going to talk about and look through, these are the kinds of things that are these essential kind of creeds of the faith 
of what the church has been operating like for the last 2,000 years. So I'm going to ask you to read this with me. This is our statement of faith. It begins with this, God, on this topic, we believe in one God, creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make him make all things new for his own glory. Okay? Second, the Bible. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. And the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without um, error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. That's a great statement. And I, as I was reading it, I was thinking of our core value, which we read a little bit ago. Number three, the human condition. We believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. About Jesus, we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person and two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the God of, and the Father of our Lord, I'm sorry, sits at the right hand of God, the Father as our high priest and advocate. Number five, the work of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. Number six, the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in him, they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. The church, we believe that the true church comprises of all who've been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They're united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances: baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. Number eight, Christian living. We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love him and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and in deed. Christ's return, we believe in the personal body, our bodily and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy, and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. And finally, response and eternal destiny. We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment, and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth, to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. That's a mouthful, but that's the doctrinal statement, the statement of faith, not only of Trinity Church, but of our denomination. These are the kinds of things that I believe, I'll say for me, are worth dying for. And I would love to hear you as you begin to put your list together. Here's the last thing I just want you to think of today, a a way to kind of summarize this first message and start a good foundation for our next three weeks. The quote is usually attributed to Augustine, but this is a powerful thing for us to leave with today. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. And we have read that today in all things charity. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you today as a people who is striving to understand how it is that we ought to live. Striving to understand how it is that we ought to prioritize things when we live in a world that is so full of so many messages, so many competing values, so many things that they would want to communicate, this matters most. And God, for I know for so many of us, we're just exhausted. We keep hearing again and again all these messages. You need to prioritize this as much as I do. And Father, what we need are good lenses. What we need are good grids to be able to understand how should I prioritize my life? What categories of importance should I have? So God, help us in this series begin to keep looking through your word. How do we prioritize things according to what you say, not just according to what we would think or popular opinion? And God, that will help us so very, very much. I want to say to you, if you're here today, you have heard one consistent message woven all the way through our time together, and that is the creator of the universe loves you deeply. He, he loves you so much, he's willing to die for you. That was his to die for, was your salvation, your rescue. So I want to say to you today, if you have not yet ever responded to the gospel, if you've never said, Jesus, I recognize I need a savior. I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you're the only savior available. You are the only one who could make me right with a perfect God. I believe that and see, I choose I choose to say, Jesus, I put my weight, my confidence, my trust in what you've accomplished, not in something I can do for you. I'm gonna put my life in your hands. I wanna live my life your way for all my days. That's the response to the gospel that we've talked about today, that Paul talked to the Corinthian church about. And I would encourage you, don't let another moment go by until you respond. Father, this week, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you begin to help us think more and more through the lens of what you've said in your word? We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.